1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we've got a couple of other places, so I need you to need to be ready to turn a couple of times. So I've got a couple of other less known passages to, to address this morning as well. So once you get 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you're interested in looking at this with me, uh, we're going to also be reading from Zephaniah chapter 1. Zephaniah chapter 1. Yeah, there's a table of contents at the beginning shows you where all that stuff is. We're also going to be looking at Amos chapter 5 and Revelation 20. So for those of you who are new with us, uh, our typical practice here is to work through books of the Bible, and we're currently working through the epistles, and we started with 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to continue on after this into 2 Thessalonians, and we'll do several of those. Uh, but this week, we are in chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 11 this morning. Uh, last week, uh, we closed when we closed out chapter 4, we saw Paul, this is kind of a continuation of what he was addressing, we saw him addressing some questions about the return of Christ that were brought up by the Thessalonians. We don't have access to these questions. We don't know exactly what they asked, but based on how he responded, we can get a gist of what they were talking about. Uh, and one of the things that was problematic at this point in the, the life of the church is that they had become hyper-focused on the end times. Uh, so if you want to get a, a nice $5 seminary word, eschatology, uh, but we're just going to call it the end times. Uh, so this particular issue had gotten so bad with the Thessalonian church, many believers had stopped working because they thought that the Lord's return is was imminent. They thought it was going to happen at any time. So in Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus rise back into the heavens. Uh, he's there at the right hand of the Father. An angel shows up and says, what are you looking up there for? One day he's coming back, and you need to be prepared for that, right? And so they're prepared. They're, they're waiting for this. They think it's going to happen at any time. Uh, but they had, they had gotten so comfortable with the idea of this being soon that they stopped working. They're like, okay, well, there's no point in me going to work today. Jesus could come back. Right, And so they stopped working, and because of that mentality, they had stopped taking care of themselves. They had become a burden on the rest of the church because they're not producing anything, and the rest of the church was having to keep them up. And along with that lack of work, we also saw where Paul told the church in verses 9 to 12 that they needed to live quiet lives and mind their own business. And so it's possible that this hyperfixation with the return of Christ has caused some to start acting wild out in public. Uh, we don't again. We don't get to see what this is, but um, Paul's essentially telling them to settle down. And so I had some thoughts about what this could possibly be. Like, there's a lot of persecution going on in this fledgling church, and it was full of young people in the faith. So a lot of spiritually immature people. So I can easily imagine those who are fed up with that struggle, that persecution, I could easily see them screaming at their tormentors about the hellfire and damnation that's coming for them if they don't, you know, get right or get left, turn and burn, you know, those kind of, that, that kind of mentality. Um, or potentially it could have gone the other way 
where you have folks who are so caught up in this idea of Christ's imminent return that they just start badgering people with the gospel. Right? Now, it, it may it may seem strange to think about you know, sharing the gospel as a bad thing because, I mean, I bang the drum of evangelism all the time. We need to be sharing our faith. And it's true that the sharing, the proclamation of our faith is God's main method for bringing people into salvation. Um, but I'm not envisioning you know, us having casual conversations and getting the gospel in there uh, as, as we can. What I'm imagining is people being pestered Right, they're constantly in their way. They're constantly uh, doing things at the wrong time, right? And so uh, we need to understand that there are better times and places to to share the gospel. So, like, what I thought about was these people aren't working; they're standing around doing with nothing to do, and so maybe they're getting in the way of other people's work. Right? They're they're standing there like, yeah, I get that Jesus is is good and he's coming back and all this kind of stuff. Can you get out of my way? I'm trying to plow this field. Right, like I need you to, I need you to get out of the way. Uh, so this is kind of what I had in my head, and you know, obviously this is me using my imagination. We don't have an, an idea of what's there. I'm just trying to fill in the gaps with the information that's provided. But Paul, whatever it is, Paul says y'all need to settle down. You're getting a little wild. So something was happening in the public sphere. We don't get to know what that is, and it's bringing unwanted attention to the church. And so he says, hey, you need to live quiet lives. You need to mind your own business. You need to work because you're becoming a burden to the people around you. Now, and also, uh, with these questions coming in, Paul's fielding questions like, what happens to believers if they die before the Lord returns? Uh, what, where, where do they go? What happens? And Paul told them at the tail end of First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, they said, don't grieve as those who have no hope. Right? We will see those brothers and sisters in Christ again at the resurrection. Right? So we're going to see all the, the people in the church again at the end. When Jesus returns, Paul says that the, Christ, uh, the dead will meet Christ in the air. Right? And then they'll go first, is what he said in the last chapter. And then the rest of us will meet him there as well, and then we will dwell with the Lord for eternity. This is how he answered this question. There's other questions that Paul was asked in, in our passage this week. He's still in, in the effort of fielding these questions, right? So he's going to say, you know, it's he's fielding questions about the day of the Lord at this point. That's what he's going to talk about in chapter 5. Uh, and when you hear that, when you hear the day of the Lord, you need to think judgment day. You need to think Judgment Day, the last day, the end, right? The last season, the end of this world, the end of this life, and the beginning of the last era of human history, which is going to uh, determine what people do for eternity. It's going to be either their eternal condemnation or it's going to be their eternal joy in the presence of God forever. Right, so here's my plan for this morning. I'm just going to lay it out for you. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read our passage in Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. And then I'm going to describe the day of the Lord because Paul just mentions it and then moves on. So I'm going to spend just a little bit of time explaining what he means when he's talking about the day of the Lord. And then we'll get into the passage and see what we are to do with that information. So let's pray and then we'll read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Father, I'm grateful that we can lean into the promise of Christ's return. 
I'm grateful that we can hang our hat on that. We can hang our hope on that. We can hang our joy on that. And Lord, no matter what this life brings to us, we can we can know for a fact, for for certain, that one day Jesus will return and all all the bad will be made right. Or there'll be a day when there's no more sin, no more death, no more pain, and we long for that day. I pray that we are prepared for that day. And Lord, I pray that we are mindful of the fact that there is judgment on that day. And I pray that we would be ready ourselves and that we would ready all of those around us that you have placed in our life. So as we read this today, help open our eyes to the truth of it, help it settle down into our hearts so that we will live a life based on it. Lord, it's in your son's precious name that I pray. Amen. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11 says, About the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark. For this day, to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. So, Paul just kind of throws out the day of the Lord and then just drives on past. And I want to give a little bit of a bigger picture about what he's referring to here without, we're not going to spend, we're not going to deep dive into it. This is just a broad 30,000 feet overview. Um, but the day of the Lord is... Basically, when God brings his severest judgment on the ungodly, right? So when you see the day of the Lord spoken about, or when you hear the Bible talk about that day, that it's usually talking about the day of the Lord. And it usually identifies events that are going to take place at the end of human history. Right? So this is what's wrapping up this, uh, the grand narrative of scripture. This is what's wrapping it all up would be that day or the day of the Lord. And so most people associate the day of the Lord with a period of time or a special day when God's will and God's purpose for the world and mankind will be completed. All right, so this is the full consummation of everything that happened. This is going to be everything wrapped up with a nice uh, bow and there will be eternity from that point forward. And as we'll see, it's either eternity uh, in joy forever or it's eternity separated from God forever. Uh, and there's different views out there about uh, how this is going to happen, when it's going to happen, uh, what's going to happen when it does occur, when Christ returns. Right? So you've probably heard conversations, maybe even been in conversations, uh, teachings about the pre-trib rapture of the church, the mid-trib rapture of the church, post-trib rapture of the church. Um, we're not going to dive into that at all. Uh, that's a conversation for a Sunday night discussion where we can sit around with our Bibles open and, and dig through. Um, but if, if that's something that you're interested in, then we can do that, but we're not going to do it today. 
so when, when you see this in the scriptures, the Old Testament, uh, the passages, they usually deal with the day of the Lord. They, when they talk about it, they have a sense of imminence. Right? So this is something that is coming. It's heavy. And there's nearness to it, so it, should, it could come soon. And there's expectation. They expect things from the Lord when this day happens. Right? This helps us understand a little bit why the Thessalonians are so worked up about it. Right? So they're, they're following this Old Testament pattern. Right? They sense the imminence of it. They sense the nearness of it. They have great expectation for it. And that's what Paul would have been teaching them. Right? So it's understandable why they would be focused on this stuff. And then when we jump forward into the New Testament, the New Testament calls it a day of wrath. The New Testament calls it a day of visitation and the great day of God Almighty. Right, so it refers to a future fulfillment when God's wrath is poured out on unbelieving Israel and on an unbelieving world. Right, but it's not all about God's wrath and destruction. Uh, when we think about that, that's predominantly what comes to mind. Uh, but besides being a time of judgment, it's also a time of salvation, right? It says in uh, Romans eleven twenty six that God is going to deliver the remnant of Israel, fulfilling the promise that all of Israel will be saved. And so it's not all doom and gloom. It's not all punishment and condemnation. There is salvation offered in this as well. And the other thing that we often see is that it is coming quickly. And what that means is not necessarily in timing, but in how rapidly it comes on. All right? We often hear it talked about as a thief in the night. That's what Paul said in uh, chapter 5 here. So Christians need to be ready, they need to be watchful, and they need to understand that those around them need to be ready and watchful as well. All right, so that's kind of a broad overview. I want to look at a couple of these passages that talk about this, and you can kind of see the, the nature of it, the heaviness of it. So the first one I want to look at is Zephaniah 1. That was 14 to 18. If you couldn't find it, don't worry, I'm going to read it to you. Zephaniah 1, 14 through 18 says, The great day of the Lord is near, near and rapidly approaching. Listen, the day of the Lord. Then the warrior's cry is bitter. That day is a day of wrath a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and total darkness, a day of ram's horn and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the high corner towers. It will bring distress on mankind and they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Their silver and their gold will be unable to rescue them on the day of the Lord's wrath. The whole earth will be consumed by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make a complete, yes, a horrifying end of all the inhabitants of the earth. Wow. So we need to think about this. Right? This is what is promised. This is going to occur. When Christ returns, this is what the unbelieving world has to look forward to. Alright, so keep that in mind. We're also going to look at Amos chapter 5, verses 18 to 24. Amos 5, 18 to 24, it says, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. And he's speaking to Israel here. And he says, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. What will the day of the Lord be for you? 
It will be darkness and not light. It will be like a man who flees from a lion only to have a bear confront him. He goes home and rests his hand against the wall only to have a snake bite him. Won't the day of the Lord be darkness rather than light, even gloom without any brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts. I can't stand the stench of your solemn assemblies. Even if you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will have no regard for your fellowship offerings of fattened cattle. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. Israel had essentially turned their back on God at this point. And they're, they're looking forward to the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And God is essentially saying here, I don't know what you're so excited about. The day of the Lord is not going to go well for you. Like there's promise of like your, your assemblies, your worship of me has, has gone to nothing essentially. I will not accept it. Because their heart and their desire had moved away from God. They were worshiping other things other than God. And he goes, you better not be excited about the day of the Lord. It's not going to go well. And then lastly, I wanted to look at Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. Revelation 20. Eleven to fifteen says, Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So what we see here is we have a promise of coming judgment. When the day of the Lord appears, we're going to stand before the judge and we're going to be judged based on two books. The first book is the Lamb's book of life. This is the book where our name is written in it if we have accepted salvation in Christ. See, our sin separates us from God because we are in rebellion against his nature and his character. And so because of that, we have no, no ability to overcome that on our own. And so we need Jesus to come to live the life that we can't live, to die the death that we deserve. And he took the punishment that we are owed for our sin. He took it on himself and he offers us his righteousness as a free, gracious, merciful gift from God. But that's the first book. If we have accepted that, if we have acknowledged our sin, if we acknowledge the fact that we can't do this on our own and we need a Savior, then our name is written into the Lamb's book of life. And so at the end of time, God is going to look in this book and He's going to say, is your name in this book? And if it's not in that book, then He's going to go to the second book. And right here, John tells us that in that second book is a list of all of our works. Everything that you've ever done in your life is written in that book. Every evil thought that you have ever thought is going to be written in that book. Every evil deed that you've done under the cover of darkness that you didn't think anybody else could see is going to be written in that book. And no matter how much good you try to do, it will not overcome the bad that is written in that book. 
And he's going to say, you see this? Guilty. And he's going to cast us away. Why? Because Isaiah tells us that our best day on earth, our best day, all we have to offer up God in our own righteousness is filthy rags. We can't do it. Not even for a day. And so Christ came and he took the punishment for us and he has offered us that. We can have our name written in the Lamb's book of life. There is hope on this last day. Where is your name written? Which book are you going to be judged based on? I said, this is, this is the judgment day. This is the day of the Lord. When you hear about it, this is what he's talking about. And so Paul is addressing this. Right? He's taught them these things. Right? And so he says in verses 1 and 2 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he tells the church they don't need anything else to be written to them regarding the day of the Lord because they know this very well. Right? They were probably hyper interested in it when he was there and he probably taught them a great deal on it. So he's saying, you've already been told. This is a topic that we've already covered. Paul's already discussed it with them. And you know, as they're communicating these questions, the day of the Lord is coming up and Paul says, hey, I, this is not the priority that you need to be focused on. Right? He, he says, you need, you have all the information that you need. Now, you need to do the work to be prepared. Alright? So don't just sit around waiting for the day of the Lord. Get ready for the day of the Lord. I've told you all I'm going to tell you. Now it's time for you to do the work. And we've got very little details here regarding the day of the Lord. There's no dates. There's no times provided in the scriptures. But what we are provided with is the promise. Right? We are promised that it's coming. We don't know when. Anybody that says they know is a liar. Right? We have no idea when this is coming, but you know it's coming, so act accordingly. Right? If you know that he's coming at any particular time, we need to be mindful of how we live our lives, of what we devote ourselves to. Right? So act accordingly. They just need to be prepared for when the Lord comes. You're either going to die before it happens or be alive when it happens. And both of those, you need to live a life that understands this is coming for you. This is coming for us all. So what does that look like? What does it look like to live a life that is ready? Well, number one, we're going to grow in our sanctification. We talked about that a few weeks ago in chapter four. Right? We're going to grow in sanctification. Sanctification is the process of becoming more like Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to see that sin in our life. We're going to do everything that we can to try to root that out of our lives. And we're going to become more like Christ. And the problem is, when we become more like Christ, we realize we have more sin in our life. All right? Our eyes are open to the truth. And so we become more like Jesus. We realize, hey, there's more sin. We begin to work that sin out of our life. And we realize, hey, we've become more like Jesus and there's more sin to work out. And so this is a nonstop process from the, the day of our justification when we come to faith in Jesus to the day that we die or the day that Christ returns. We need to grow in sanctification. That's one way how we prepare. The second is growing in, or in our efforts to disciple others. Right, we're going to disciple others to Christian maturity. So the, the idea is that we will take, we, we should have someone like Paul in our life who is pouring into us and teaching us what it's like to honor God. And then we should take where we are and find someone who's like Timothy in the Bible who Paul pours into. 
So we get poured into by Paul. We then pour some into someone else like Timothy, and we should be going through this process on a regular basis. All right, we, we, we talked in the new members class this morning about the, the Great Commission. All right, we're supposed to be making disciples of all nations, teaching them all that Christ has taught them. And all that you have been taught, you need to be teaching to someone else. And then you need to also realize you will never arrive. The Bible is a beautiful living book. It will constantly open up deeper and deeper to you. The more you read it, the more time you spend in it. And so you need to be diving deep yourself and then showing others how to dive deep. Also, evangelizing the lost is going to be a huge priority in preparation for this. Like Everything that I just read is waiting for those who don't know Jesus. All that stuff that I just read is waiting for those who are far from God. And we need to be mindful that every single person that we interact with will spend eternity in one of two places, either in the presence of God or separated from God forever. And so we need to be mindful that the day of the Lord is coming or the day of, a, of their death is coming. One or, one or the other is going to happen, guaranteed. And we need to be preparing people for one of those two days. Paul says in verse 3 that there's not going to be any time for repentance. All right, there's, some, there's some really cool stuff that sounds uh, interesting when the Lord returns. Like he's going to come in with an, an archangel shout. There's going to be a trumpet that blasts open the sky. There, I don't, there's not going to be an eye in the world that can't see this. And when that happens, it's game over. There's no overtime. Right? People in this life, they're, they're, they're helpful. They're, they love the idea of peace and security. They think, they're, they think they're good. I've had so many people say that to me when I've shared the gospel with them. I'm good. I'm good. What in your life would imply that you are good? That, you know, that you know the Lord? They're, they're thinking peace and security and then sudden destruction comes upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman. They will not escape. Right? They will not escape. It's coming. They, you know, we know it's coming. And there's no getting away from it. Once it hits, it hits and it is over at that, part, at that point. And so what do we need to do knowing that we have this? Well, in verses 4 through 6, he says two things. Be ready and be set apart. Be ready, be set apart. Paul tells them, you're not in the dark. You've been warned about all this. You've already been set apart from all those who are in the dark. They've been warned. You know this is coming, so you now need to be ready. And Paul talks about them. right? He says, they sleep at night. They get drunk at night, but we should be prepared for the Lord's coming. right? For those of us who have come into faith, we should live a life that is separate from what the, the life the world lives. Now that's going to make us look odd. That's going to bring ridicule. That's going to bring judgment. But it's only earthly judgment, not God's judgment. So he's saying don't be like them. Don't act like them and be ready. And then there in verses 6-8 through eight, he says be self-controlled and armor up. Right? He says to armor yourself with faith and love. 
right? So how do you protect yourself when you know these these guys were facing serious persecution? What are they supposed to? How are they fighting against that? They're armoring themselves up with faith, right? They're clinging to these promises that God has offered, right? And then they're surrounding each other with love. Right? So where the world might tear us down, the world might tear us apart. The church is a place where we can come together and we can be lifted up. We can be supported. And we can bear one another's burdens. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. Like This is what the church is for. And I pray that we can catch a vision for that and for nothing else. How much we should love the church. This is how we protect ourselves from the hard stuff that shows up in this life. And then he says to put on the helmet of hope of salvation. Like the world is going to throw so much junk at these people. The world is going to throw so much junk at you. And it's going to try to get into your head. It's going to try to make you question things. And it's going to try to lull you into sleep. And, and Paul here is saying, protect your brain. Protect your mind. Right? That's where the hope of salvation is going to, to reside. Right, so what do you cling to when the world is starting to fall apart around you? You cling to salvation. You cling to hope. Right? If everything goes bad for us, if everything falls apart, if we have a moment like Job where our, you know, our wealth goes away, our family dies, our health is destroyed, we still cling to the fact that we have hope and salvation in the Lord. And nothing can take that away. We have to protect our mind with the hope of salvation. As bad as it gets, I still have Jesus. As bad as it gets, this is not forever. And why does that give us hope? Well, verses 9 through 10, Paul says, we're not appointed to wrath. Right? The promises of, of heaven, the promises of the new earth, are absolutely beautiful. They're absolutely gorgeous. Right? Jesus came to separate us away from the rest of the world. Uh, we are no longer condemned. We are no longer under wrath. Salvation is offered to us. It's offered to those who you will come into contact with this day and, and in the future. He died so that we could be restored in that relationship. So now when he returns, no matter if we have died before he comes back or if we are still alive, when he comes back, we will live together with him forever. I don't know about you, but I can't wait. Like I said before, I can't fathom what rewards in heaven even look like when we get to be in the presence of Christ. What could be better? The only thing I can think of is more time with Jesus. Which is why I said, I will trip you to a service project so that I get there first, so that I get more time with Jesus. Right? Um, so we have this hope. This is what we, this is what we get to hope in. No matter how difficult life becomes, we still have salvation in him. And therefore, we should encourage one another. This is what Paul says to them. Encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. Right, so on the days that you are in this place and that you get to spend time with the church and you are strong, then you be strong for each other. And on the days that you come in this place and you are weak and you are struggling and life is beating you down, you lean into the church because we are here for you. We love you. So my question is, are you ready? Paul's trying to get this church ready for the day of the Lord or the day of their death. 
And my question to you is, are you ready? Right? You are part of everyone. And everyone will spend eternity in one of two places. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Or on the day of your death or the day of Christ's return, will you stand before the Lord and say, I gave you everything that I had. And you're going to see him say, that wasn't enough. I was enough. I did everything that you needed to do. You needed to put your trust and faith in me. And you didn't do that. Depart from me, you evildoer. Are you ready? If you're not ready, let's talk. If this is new or foreign to you and something that you need some more education on, let's talk. Don't leave this place with this idea that you're good because you're good enough. Because you're not. I'm not. We're not. But salvation is offered to you in Christ. All you have to do is accept it. Number two, if you are ready, you need to put on your spiritual armor. All right, this life is going to throw so much stuff at you that it's hard to see straight sometimes. It's hard to think straight sometimes. And so you need to armor up. You can't armor up if you're not spending time in prayer, if you're not spending time in the Word of God. If you're not, doing, if you're not spending time with the church, you are exposed. There, you run the risk of spiritual destruction because you don't have what it takes to protect yourself. This is a... This is offered to everyone and it's easy to find. All you have to do is be willing to do the work, to spend the time in the Word of God, with the church, and in prayer. And lastly, are you preparing those around you? And this is a drum that I have been beating for a while now. Like We need to start seeing with spiritual eyes. We need to start going places and seeing not a barista, but someone who's going to spend eternity somewhere. We go to a, a store and we don't see a checkout person if you actually have one of those anymore. But you see someone who's going to spend eternity somewhere. Right? When you pass someone on the street and they cut you off and you're just, uh, that person's going to spend eternity somewhere. And we need to be mindful of that. We need to be praying for those people. We need to be preparing them for that. And so it's important for us to share our faith in a way that is meaningful to people. And God has put you around certain people in a way that you're going to be able to speak into their life in a way that I can't. Right? So sometimes we have this mindset of, I will just bring this person to church and let Chris talk to him, which is great. I'll do it. I love it. Let's go. Invite me to coffee and we'll do it. One of my favorite things in the world to do. But God has put you in these people's lives so that you know what they're going through, so that you can speak into them specifically. And God created you to be who you are so that as you talk to them, there's something that will resonate. And I want you to be ready. I want you to be... I, I, that's another one of my favorites. I would love, I love to train up in, in ministry. Like, that's my job, is to train you to do your job. Are you ready? And if not, what, what are we lacking? Let's get to it. Let's go after it. That's right. Silas, I'm telling you, that's my amen corner. Don't shush him. That's my dude right there. Amen, buddy. All right, let's pray together. Father, I'm so thankful for the beauty of the gospel. I'm so thankful for the Lamb's Book of Life. I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here that is far from you, that today is the day of salvation for them. Lord, I pray that 
if we know anybody in our lives that is far from you, that today would be the day that we finally fill up with the Spirit, we finally fill up with the uh, understanding that they're going to spend eternity somewhere and we speak the truth to them, maybe for the very first time. And more importantly, I pray for opportunities everywhere we go to speak that truth. And I pray that we would be people who are mindful that we are in constant uh, process so that one, we would forgive ourselves when we fail, but two, we would not be content with staying where we are, that we would be ready for the day of your return. Lord, I pray that we would be as much like you as we can possibly stand to be in as we wait. But Lord, we also pray, Lord, come quickly. We pray like the church, Maranatha. We want you to be with us. And so we long for that. Help us to be prepared. In your son's precious name that I pray. Amen.